In today's competitive e-commerce environment, it's never been more important to earn and maintain the trust of your customers. Merchant Fraud Journal's To Catch a Fraudster podcast is supported by SIFT, the leader in digital trust and safety. SIFT empowers companies to stop fraud and grow without risk. Visit SIFT.com assessment to schedule a consultation with SIFT's trust and safety architects. Industry experts who have decades of fraud fighting experience at companies like Facebook, Square, and Google. They'll help create a custom plan for your business with an emphasis on technology, organizational structure, and process. Visit sift.com slash assessment today. We're live. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. I'm ready. Thanks. So... Chris Mangold, also known as Christian Mangold, but Chris Mangold is CEO of Frogster and the managing director there as well. So Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you come from, who you represent, and then we'll jump right in. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm, I'm excited about this interview today. Um, I'm representing uh, Frogster, a Berlin-based German-Israeli payment intelligence company, a company that in the second book we're doing, Who Am I? I'm with Frogster as the CEO since 12 months now, pretty precisely. Yeah, my background in internet payments and e-payments reaches now yeah, 12 years in the past. I started out with a company called Sofort Überweisung in Germany, um, not known so much in an international context, but to give you in context, this was one of the first A2A account-to-account transfer schemes. And these account-to-account transfer schemes are actually, back then, they have been even an anti-fraud uh, method more than a payment scheme since they had some conversion problems. But in the very risky areas, they always have been the payment of last resort for, for gambling and digital contents and, and remittance and these kind of things. After two years back then, um, we successfully sold that company to Klarna, what you all still know. And then I served for two years as a managing director for Klarna in the Dach area, uh, rolling out back then Klarna's checkout, which was uh, utmost disruptive back then to the, to the merchants' checkouts beside the PayPal Express. And yeah, and over other things, stations in, in credit card acquiring, in crypto, Frogster and myself found ourselves 12 months ago. I was bored in the first interview when I looked at the deep AI, the deep technology we have here, and the, yeah, the UX. So um, cutting fraud is one thing, um, avoiding false positives is another thing, and the third thing is also to have the fraud operator in the center so that she or he can really combine the rules, backtest everything, and, and work with a nice, song, uh, nice uh, um, cockpit and, and dashboard. This is what we bring to the market. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you joining us. You left out the most important part, which is that you have flawless English grammar with an amazing German accent, which is just music to my ears. It's an amazing, it is just a joy to have Actually, you. It's Bavarian. Bavarian, sorry. <laughs> so it, is, it is a pleasure to have your baritone voice on this program. Thank you so much for joining us. So we're going to jump right in. We spoke previously for a little bit about how we like to do things here. So why don't we just jump right in with uh, your first crazy fraud story? Well, yeah, fraud stories. I was thinking about it. And, and the pity is fraud is interesting, fraud is measurable, but it's not always that crazy. So what really erodes quality and, and security in the internet is perhaps uh, accompanied in a second, all these small and repetitive 
business cases. So being a fraudster is a job. Being a fraudster is hard work. And so it's not only these Hollywood style kind of coups uh, they land, but sometimes it's really business case driven hard work. And that's why they are also yeah, somewhat predictable. But <laughs> I was checking our fraud files and then our one of our largest fraud cases we had here. Fortunately, it was not our fault, but the merchant was informed, but they still failed to revoke the delivery in time. It was Christmas time. Mm-hmm. It was a sauna. Worthwhile, uh, worthwhile uh, uh, 14,000 uh, euro. Wow. Uh, and still, a sauna is not a good that you easily intercept and run away with that. Like an <laughs> and, and this also shows that uh, fraud is not always predictable. Yeah? So um, you uh, must, as a merchant or as a bank, not feel safe that something is crazy enough to uh, not be stolen. Even saunas yeah, can be stolen. <laughs> On the other end, uh, we have with one luxury label legitimate um, legitimate uh, purchases up to 50k sometimes also in pre-Christmas time so right. there we are sometimes smirking a bit what he or she did that it's uh, that it needs such a ticket <laughs> to piece yeah. the waves this idea of high ticket items is definitely something that we've covered recently on the publication so I'm interested to hear from your perspective you said that even a sauna this is an item that most people would feel like who's going to steal a sauna because how are you going to steal a sauna? How is that going to work exactly? So I'm curious to hear from your perspective, how you go about assessing risk specifically with these types of high ticket items. Are you looking at anything differently than you would for other type of items? And if you could take me through that process a little bit on your end, it would be, I think, really insightful for our viewers or listeners. High ticket items is definitely the area where latest rules fail. Since as a rule, you would always cut, don't know, very high purchases uh, at nighttime or whatever. But the other thing is, this can be the most lucrative transaction since perhaps you have this checkout at the luxury trader at two o'clock in the morning when you had two or three too many or when you just got the, <laughs> the call from your spouse. Yeah. Um, so the, the beauty about high ticket is, on the other hand, that most often um, they are worthwhile investing a bit. These are the ones where automation sometimes has an end, where it makes sense to go to a manual flow, to look into these transactions where you have all kinds of visualizations. You see, you know, in the dashboards of ours or competitors, Google Maps pops up. where You get everything. You get the full story. You get the credit card details. You get the IP. You see where this person um, pretends to sit and where this person wants to get the goods delivered to. And, and this gives you a lot of background. Uh, the other thing is you see linking. Yeah, this is something you actually only achieve with AI, else you are not fast enough. You will see graphically the link. Has this credit card, has this type of goods, has this IP already been successfully successful in the past, or has there been flaws or rejected transactions or even chargebacks in the past? And this all, this is what you take together to come to an educated decision. Another thing is normally time is the absolute essence, yeah, since uh, nobody waits in the checkout till the transaction is uh, is accepted. This can change a bit if it's uh, such a high-ticket customized goods, since most often then the, the consumer will not get this at the next shop, it's just a mouse click away. Yeah. Right. So this gives some leeway there still. So still, I, have a, I actually um, have a question uh, on that. hitting the reputation of the trader. I have a question on that because yes, we talk a lot about friction in the process, obviously, and how we need to, we're at yeah. a, a point of zero friction at this place in time. 
I would think that for luxury people, luxury goods, that that's even more important that people who are paying $15,000 for a sauna on the internet are really expecting to just be accepted and just move forward. So how are you balancing that need for a reduced customer friction experience with the idea that you have these types of luxury mm-hmm. customers who are expecting a luxury experience? Or do you think that there's just no way to avoid, given the, the dollar values, adding friction into the process? Beautiful thing. Don't quote me, but when in my former station, we um, uh, launched back then and there was not the 2FA uh, requirements of the uh, of the Payment Services Directive 2 already in place. Yeah. We back then, eight years ago, rolled out a real one-click checkout yeah, where we said you can, without registration, you can purchase up to the limit. You can purchase only by um, punching in your zip code and your email address. And um, then it was accepted. And then we said for more critical, I come to the point in a second, for more critical risk profiles, we have do not have this one click. We show them rather variety of payment methods. So if they go to a funded payment method, like a trustee or a support, we would not have to score them. And if they would go for a buy now, pay later function, we would have to score them and probably even to show them away. And, and this flow converted just better than the one-click flow. Yeah. Wow, Since, really? Uh, yeah, and for high, you know, um, snappiness and seamless checkout is one thing, but it can feel, if this is thousands of dollars, it can feel insecure to the consumer. Interesting. Yeah, this is one aspect. So interesting enough, so this was definitely not stipulating one-time passwords and this kind of thing, which can, uh, but we had this, we measured it out. Yeah? And I said, oh, these are the party poopers, this will be too fast, people will not like it measurable result with millions of transactions and to see there is all there. Yeah, I could take the credit card, I could take PayPal, but I want to opt in the buy now, pay later, back then really get it now and later on sort out how I pay and convert it better. Yeah. And another point is education. Since for high value checkouts, many users know that there might be a second step. Business travelers, I don't know what I did last time I had my uh, trip to MSC Las Vegas and my credit card was accepted right away. Um, Interesting, yeah, obviously. But um, most often, for instance, business travelers know if they have a business trip, which is several thousand dollars or euros, that there might be a confirmation and could be this balance even a bit. For me, it felt more awkward to just have a few thousand dollars on my card without anything. Yeah, just goodbye. Thank you. It could be even more comforting to have this this checkpoint there. On the other hand, so I'd say what's, to add on what you said, uh, what's most disappointing, obviously, for an affluent or high net worth customer is to make up her mind to buy these goods, to go through the checkout, to perhaps even undergo some extra uh, verification or authentication steps and then being rejected by timeout, by whatever. This is a catastrophe. Since then, they will really go shop somewhere else. Right. Wow, that's really interesting. That's the first time that I've ever heard anyone say anything like that. Usually we just hear about faster, 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 but I could see how yeah, that, is, that is higher essence, end. Sometimes, exactly. So I'm curious, this is maybe a little bit of a side question here, but what do you do to test these processes? How are you deciding what the optimal friction to create is, the optimal way to create that friction? And how are you balancing that with your need to complete each of these purchases, but also get information on what actually is most effective 
Are you running A/B tests? Yeah. Are you what? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is uh, A/B testing. This is back down if you have the opportunities to to uh, in vitro tests, eye apple tracking, and all kind of these things. Another interesting finding what uh, surprised me very much in 12 months, uh, 12 years of e-payment, and you would also perhaps not have expected that, is whenever you change something in the flow, even if you change something that obviously improves the flow, conversion will first drop a bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> will drop a bit. And this is still uh, as um, popular e-commerce e shopping is. Meanwhile, many of the consumers shop rarely, especially with one shop. Just see how often you buy at your sneaker shop. This is not once per month so that you would always feel what the um, what the flow is yeah and the other thing is the high rollers which are shopping really I don't know in electronics there are some tinkerers or so on they're, they're shopping practically by the day and they concentrate a lot of volume and for those it's disturbing whenever something changes they rather get used to a, a clunky checkout than appreciating that when with all beauty of eye apple tracking and so you optimize the flow still we have a dip it comes back yeah, but it was a learning it first time it always dips. And this is important since when you say, how do you measure that? You have to communicate it to your merchants. If you try something new, yeah, obviously there should not be a huge dip. But if you try something new, there will always be a small dip first before it improves and goes up. Wow. Yeah. And so on that subject, how are you recommending to merchants that they inform their customers of this just to say, there's going to be a new checkout experience. You're going to experience X and Y and Z. Do you find that oversharing what's going to come makes people not want to try it to begin with? What are you seeing with that, that communication between yourself and the merchant and then the merchants and their customers, since you're kind of playing a game of telephone with the end users from your end? Yeah, considering that average checkout and average margin per user it, it hardly makes sense to reach out actively there. It's rather uh, creating facts which have to be attractive. Yeah? It was back then big blue, now big pink, uh, Klarna. You always obviously had discussions with the merchants. PayPal did the same. And the merchants said, no, the, the, the checkout is ours and we do not want to have different brands in there. We don't, and you could preach again and again, we are only earning money. If you are earning money, we're only being paid for successful transactions. You are doing great 100 million of volume. We are doing even great tens back then, now hundreds of, of billions of volume. Believe us, we have 50 people working for the checkout. You have five. We are investing in the <laughs> checkout. But still, the checkout is, you know, you do not want to have um, you do not want to have people interfere in, the, in your customer interaction, your story. Now, I guess it's true. And sooner or later, today, a checkout, which is not offering PayPal and I could buy now pay later, like a cloner or something like that, will be mistrusted by consumers. You cannot educate consumers, so uh, many have their likes. We try to educate them for more than 10 years, but um, you have to consider the fact that, uh, yeah, sometimes the more payment methods you offer, the more is the likelihood that everybody finds the one um, they, uh, they tend to prefer, and then they do it. Okay. Yeah? And they find out, and there will be a hurt effect to the ones which are really uh, working. Wow, really insightful. Thank you. All right. So let's hear the next great story. Wow. Stories. Yeah. Do you know how much a credit card is in the dark web? How the cost for credentials? Yeah. I think it's like a dollar or something, right? It's, uh, it's much more expensive. I, I think it depends. First of all, it depends. Okay. It depends whether you just want to have a MasterCard with um, public mode. You can Google it. MasterCard with PIN. 
mimicked. Yeah? This is perhaps $15 or something like that. And then when it's a quality card with the availability of at least 1500 it can go up to 150 Oh, really? Okay. And this is, this is why, this is why fraud is hard work. Yeah. This is why fraud is hard work. And um, criminals, they have to live from what they earn. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. They very, yeah, they're very, very good entrepreneurs. Yeah. This means that whenever you increase the threshold, you are uh, likely to not be hit since they will always go for the easiest way to commercialize this credit card. Yeah, if you right. buy now a credit card for $150 in the internet, you have only two or three shots. Since then, each and any velocity rule goes up and this thing will be blocked or somebody finds out. Mm -hmm. So you have to buy it and you go to find um, the easiest target. This leads them to, to fraud patterns, which one might perhaps not expect. Yeah, for instance, um, airline fraud. Okay. Yeah, um, this is a little bit like uh, airline fraud. It's always tricky to to steal a ticket and then uh, fly with it under a fake name. Yeah, this is. Uh, I would not enjoy this experience. So why are but why are they um, so much victim uh, airlines, for instance, to third party fraud? Yeah, um, as, as opposed to first party fraud, where people make up the mind not mm -hmm. to take the travel and then um, uh, cancel. It's a different topic. Yeah, but this is for car testing for instance, yeah. since if I want to test whether this card really has $1,000 of limit, yeah, if I test this at my local grocery shop, could well be that I'm being blocked since this is just saying this checkout is way too high, it's suspicious, mm -hmm. yeah, and they will never find out whether this limit is on there, yeah, right. um, because they will just reject me uh, as a mismatch of merchant purchase and, and airline is unsuspicious. Airlines, they have very high ATVs, average uh, transaction values. So this is uh, very good for card testing. They call it card testing. Yeah. So nobody wants to, to black ride with this ticket. And still, economic damage is huge since the city is blocked. Yeah, you cannot resell it. You're flying empty. You have the cost of the chargeback uh, later when the consumer that's um, being uh, treated there, mistreated there, uh, finds out. Yeah. Catastrophe um, economically and for the for the frauds, they're not really a business case other than preparative fraud. Right. So things one has to know sometimes. I think this whole world of card testing is something that we don't talk enough about. Take us through some of the more interesting examples that you've seen of what fraudsters are doing that is maybe out of the ordinary that people can identify as a potential fraud testing scheme that you've seen a lot as people, fraudsters, are trying to determine that these cards are legitimate and that they have the limits that they think that they do? Yeah, card testing. But, but if you really steal an identity in the card, the next step is then um, and the test is fulfilled to get hand on the goods. Yeah, This is the next thing where you have to see um, how you can commercialize. So ideally, best thing is best thing is to steal any vouchers or something like that. Or, okay. But this is tricky with the cards. Instead of fraud systems, will hit you. So the other thing is then, if it's physical goods, you have to intercept them. Yeah. Okay. And then you have to drill into the process from the each one or other thing. Yeah. Uh, most popular is um, what one might find out without knowing yeah, that your credentials are used, your legitimate credentials are used, since then your card with your delivery address is connected and all the uh, fraud screening uh, methods say, okay. And then the fraudster tries to log in in your account later um, to, yeah, to derail the goods to, don't know, an anonymous parcel a station or a pickup point somewhere at a, at a retailer, which will never check the ID. Yeah, since they are not paid for checking IDs, they just say, they come in and say, yeah, Bradley, is my, is my parcel there? So, yeah, great that you hear that. So this is this. And then all of a sudden, you find out there has been a transaction, even a, a receipt yeah, of delivery and you, and then you have to fight 
back the liability against the credit card or the buy now pay later or whomever um, was victim besides you to this um, identity uh, fraud. Mm -hmm. So when and this is where the hardware comes. This is not the Hollywood. Yeah, no, go shoot. ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, I was going to ask. Like, so you mentioned vouchers because I'm I'm always curious in this world when you buy these cards. You know, there's no honor among thieves, as they say. So you go on the internet and you buy whatever off the internet, and you want to make sure that you're getting what you want to get. But at the same time, you need to make sure, like you said, that you're not making it known that the card has been stolen. So I'm just curious if you have, you, you mentioned vouchers, if there are other specific things that people should be looking out for, for patterns of behavior that will indicate card testing on certain types of products or services that are targeted by these fraudsters. So airlines you're saying are really, really, really prolific because there's a high ATV. So it's not a big deal. I guess vouchers, I'm assuming you're talking about maybe like lower priced vouchers because you could just make sure that the card works. Are there other things that you're seeing in there or are those really the two major instances? Yeah, the beauty with vouchers is that you get hand on the voucher and then you can really steal the money. Mm. So um, uh, in airlines, uh, this, this card testing in airlines, uh, most often perhaps the consumer will not find out since a clever enough, a clever enough fraudster will perhaps even abort the transaction once it looks good. <laughs> yeah, so, so not to damage his expensive limit yeah, when he sees that it goes through. Yeah, but again, it, it makes perfect sense to go through your statements, your card statements yeah, by month and to go through that and just chase it for anomalies. Suspiciously high amounts, as you say, you will find out quickly, but suspiciously low amounts, you will also find out. And then you see very soon, um, normally it pumps up. So this card testing thing, it could be, I don't know, Amazon things or whatever, what's bought or, or any merchants, most often from the digital, some phony gaming or, or gambling thing, okay. where you might perhaps even think that your children or whomever, yeah, gets hold, not that you should give them hold of the card, but this happens again and again. <laughs> yeah. And then, then you see uh, 50 cents, 2 euro, 6 euro, <laughs> 8 euro, 17 euro, 70 euro. Yeah. <laughs> so this is this is how this, this tests and escalates. Um, and this is also mimicking, mimicking normal behavior This um, for the fraud engines, since it could be that somebody is now yeah, not addicted, but liking this game and buys more and more. Yeah? Right. And, and these things you have to find out, um, even if it's abused, they would, would do it similar. Uh, they would not jump in with the highest possible um, purchase at a gaming or at a voucher shop. They would start to mimic normal behavior. And this is then also um, when your card is already uh, spoofed. Uh, this is also for the anti-fraud scheme the topic where we have to go, how do we find the mimics? Yeah, And then you need many attributes um, to see what's wrong with this. Uh, ideally, automatically, what could be wrong with this transaction? Yeah, Is this, mm -hmm, is then, again, this is a BIS email which does not exist. Yeah, Is the phone number right? And does this, um, so there's many layers. Yeah, And most often, again, the entrepreneurial fraudster has to go the way of the least resistance. Yeah, and they will not make a super deep fake. Yeah, they will not make a super perhaps they scratch a little bit on the surface to fake a social media account. But then if you automatically or manually open it, you will find out there is 
no followers or there is no pictures in there. So mm -hmm. uh, it's always worth the effort to go a tiny bit of the extra mile to, again, increase the threshold for the Frogstop, and then at least you are protected and they will try it with somebody else. Right. So I have a bit of an existential question off of something that you said there, which is, do you think that these types of attacks always leave traces? Because you said they try to mimic regular behavior, but if you dig into it, you can usually find something. Is it possible that it would be undetectable? Yeah, it's a question of time, right? If you have all time of the world, it will always be detectable. <laughs> okay. If you have all the money, this, this leads then to manual follow-ups, and this has been seen, yeah, so to, in extreme cases. Um, again, this is a, a, in luxury goods. In extreme cases, they could even feel it as a service if somebody calls and says, my friend, there's a huge checkout. We want to make sure everything's in order. Yeah, Can you do that? So the question is, you cannot just uh, crawl through all the transactions. So you have to make sure you detect uh, the majority besides edge cases, which you then can cut with rules. But uh, that you detect uh, and, 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 and you prevent the majority of the damage automatically. Yeah, You cannot afford a 15-headed uh, manual follow-up team who goes through each and any transaction. Um, you have to somehow be so clever that if you have not 15, but five in the manual follow-up team, that you only um, give them the transactions which are really somewhat worthwhile to look at, since else you swamp them. And then again, um, you if you swamp them, again, you risk that something goes through. So uh, with all time and money, you will always detect it. But you have to meet in the middle. And again, uh, the fraudster also does not have all time and money. They will right. kind of make it. So they will not make a deep fake there to steal um, just a few game vouchers or whatever or for card testing. Right. All right. Awesome. Next anecdote here. Next story. What I find interesting, actually, what's what's now, um, I don't know whether you have this pass also, is all this um, yeah, 2FA, two-factor authentication hacking mm -hmm. and all these things. And mm -hmm. this has this me a bit, yeah, since this is really tricky, that without the contribution of the consumer, this is for perhaps sometimes fraud. Fraud is there, fraud is real, but sometimes it's also a, a hoax, yeah, since um, there was so much in the press just recently on spoofing or hacking of two-factor authentication. And then... Then you read till it was really interesting. I read this article and it was, by the way, from one of the big five or is it now big four auditors who actually have a footprint in the market. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I said, how can that be? How can you actually hack that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, without getting hold of the. And then it was, oh, then it was an edge case like, like SIM faking or SIM spoofing that you call the mobile operator and say, hi, it's Bradley and I lost my phone and can you send me a oh, far fetch? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, this is sometimes perhaps a, a fraud pattern which could be reported, but which is not really there. Again, um, we talked about business cases. How effortful is this? And and, and fraudsters will always, uh, fraudsters, I always say fraudsters in our company, but fraudsters will always, <laughs> will always, will always um, avoid manual interference also. Yeah. So um, this, um, how should a fraudster have the time to, without an accent, without a lousy accent, uh, like I have, as you said, call a British mobile I said, operator? I said an awesome accent, Chris. <laughs> I said an awesome accent. Call a mobile operator to see this story. Yeah. Then they will again say, okay, I sent you a, a one-time password or something like that. Yeah. So one should not believe everything since... Um, Business with fear or, or news of fear is always great. Yeah, And you can say, oh, and we had this so much back then in our account-to-account -account scheme with support or the trustees of the world. They spoof your account. They check on your credit worthiness. They store the data. Why should they store data they don't need? 
Yeah. So right. sometimes one has to also uh, reflect what's really the, the matter. Yeah. So where do you see this bio authentication? This is something that's becoming more and more prominent now. We've we've had the password apps for a long time now where you need to put in the extra code from your Google Authenticator or whatever it is. But now we're we're moving more and more, not just from thumbprints and face, but we we hear, I've heard things about possible voice recognition. I've heard retinal, we're getting into James Bond territory here, you know, things that are, <laughs> are like crazy. Do you think, I guess here with your visionary CEO cap on here, do you think that this is where we're going in the future that the password will eventually be retired and everybody will just be expected to scan their retinas? Or, or do you think that that type of a world is too invasive, too much of a hassle to set up? Maybe people don't want their retina data out there on the dark web versus just like a password, which is very unpersonal. Where do you see us going with that in the future? Yeah, I think there is a huge lobby for that. Um, with a good right, and this is the whole regulated business. Yeah, um, since uh, it's a nightmare, and actually this is even an unfair advantage of incumbent players in, in banking, in account keeping, since it is difficult to um, for neo banks to win customers. Yeah, this is a broken process. The regulatory onboarding of a consumer, leave alone a business, but their bio will not be so far, is actually protecting very much the incumbents. This since ten years, and then you had. Mail ident. I don't know whether you have this in the States or in UK where you had to go to the post office earlier. Now you have this video ident, which are still still really um, cumbersome. Yeah, when you have to hold up your ID and you flip it and you shop. Mm -hmm. And then um, this is also cumbersome for the consumers since they are not only opening their main account. Perhaps they must just apply for a small for a small retail loan. Yeah, for the next holiday or something like that. And they get it and they are happy. And then they have to go something to that and they let it leave alone gambling, for instance, age verification where they want to be quick. So if this seems a bit spooky, I think there is a huge market because um, market participants need it to have a frictionless, we spoke about the checkout, but to have a, a frictionless onboarding. Um, it's not far away since this is really difficult to fake. It's not far away from being um, yeah, regulatory accepted. Many financial authorities are already accepting that stepwise and stepwise anymore. And um, that's why I expect a lot there. Okay. And on the consumer end, do you think that consumers are willing to participate in these things? I know consumers will always trend towards less friction. But to me, I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting too old now. I don't know. But I don't know that I would want my biometric information being stored in a company database. It's one, it's one thing to have a password and I understand those are going to get stolen. It's one thing to have a Google Authenticator app and this, but now when you're talking about, well, Bank of America or Deutsche Bank or whatever is holding a scan of my retina or however else they're doing this, I don't know that I would be so comfortable with that, Chris. I, I mean, maybe I'm just showing my age, but do you think customers would just look past that because it would be more convenient? Or do you think that there would be some discussion between businesses and consumers about how this type of information is going to be held and handled and ultimately used and protected? Yeah, obviously. First of all, it's hopefully not a, a magnitude of companies having the data of your retina. This will be hopefully very well controlled and high quality protected um, service providers. 
or people in the middle um, who are doing that. Um, the other thing is, I guess, we are really showing our age there, both of us. Yeah, <laughs> since this is, um, yeah, and I had this really 15 years ago where it was, um, where e-payments just came and everybody again showing age back and said, how can you, how can you reveal your, your credit card data in the internet? Sure. Yeah, where my argument always were, guys, this was magnetic stripes back then. Yeah, in each and any uh, delay, you give your cards to somebody who disappears and comes back 15 minutes later with your card and say, <laughs> yeah, and right. it may or the phone order you give your card. And how much more effort is it to spoof your card in the internet than there? Yeah, so this is this is by the way where the fraud back then happened. It's showing age, and I have to say, um especially, for instance, fingerprint, yeah, not the Google Authenticator, but fingerprint access to many of my live accounts. Yeah, Even my normal, I cannot do a transaction, but access to my account is fingerprint, and this is much easier. And I have a lot of medium security apps there. Yeah, yeah. I would be in a bad place if this would be uh, switched off and I would have to remember or to reinstall all these passwords. Yeah? Right. So sometimes ease of access is in its two layer yeah so means um, one thing is access and next thing is um, even technically how how precise your fingerprint has to be stored there for access to the account and then uh, when it comes to transactions or to emptying your account most often there's the next thing yeah so data privacy is something sometimes this is even technically explainable that this is a fingerprint scan but only for instance uh, three or four data points and you could not even reproduce the fingerprint from that This is what uh, consumers need to be educated on, but this is how it works. Yeah, you know that, I know that, and I guess convenience will uh, help a lot there. There is uh, what's possible, and actually it's good, but you know that I, I spoke to a South African a micro lending company. Mm -hmm. They do it mobile based. So they get micro loans. If you're a trader, you're selling apples or potatoes or whatever. Yeah, you get a micro loan, and by the way, this is low risk. Um, and they, to apply, you had to open your. Um, your uh, location history in Google. They read the location history. They find out whether she or he obviously has a mobility profile that indicates a daily go to work. Yeah. Interesting. And they make this as, as basis of the credit decision where we would say, how can that be? How, uh, how much can you uh, <laughs> trespass into the, right. the, into the uh, yeah. private hemisphere? On the other hand, they get access to the funds. Yeah. So this is sometimes uh, it just develops. Yeah, convenience is definitely a huge motivator for consumers, as we have seen definitely time and time again. So I guess that this would be no different. So you have time for one more? Yeah, if you have. <laughs> yeah, I have. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is great. We love the linking. This is really something. But this will be the next thing in um, fraud prevention in, in artificial intelligence to yeah. waste fraud prevention. So the good thing is this is pretty uh, data protected. Yeah, since um, with entity recognition, with behavioral linking and so, you do not have to have a customer file. Yeah, We are not judging, and our competitors also not, the next-gen providers, we are not judging on uh, the behavior of a Bradley or, or a Chris. We are seeing the linking, we are seeing all the signals, we see whether this is uh, potentially advantages, graphically, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, potentially advantages or malign entity, Yeah, not behavior. You are somewhat data slim you do not have to store data since the only good data that cannot be stolen is the one you do not store at least not this data everything can be hashed but this is really beautiful yeah and then you can even uh, develop yeah self-improving rules and all these kind of things this is the next thing so, we find out we can even so yeah. take me through the science of this i'm curious to hear when you're you're able to use the linking to develop 
better models. What does that process look like at a, at a high level, obviously? It's, uh, it's big data. It's detaching. It's detaching um, the data points totally from the attributes and actually collecting and, and calculating only with the attributes. Yeah, And then one is also reverse engineering what the, what the machine learns is obviously backtesting. By the way, you cannot do this totally without feedback. What was good and was, was, was rather um, inaccurate. But you gauge the relevance of specific attributes and mm-hmm. you know data signals in a checkout, you get 40 or 50 attributes. You blow up to 2,000 or 3,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah? And then again, it's a few too many to really deduct them. And then you learn for specific uh, demand situations, uh, verticals, geographies, which are the most relevant uh, data points, attributes for the score. And then you link them. So this is linking first and linking the second time. And this makes it really powerful. Since still you have to react in milliseconds. Yeah, so you mm-hmm. cannot crowd through something. It's data design. And also you have to quickly decide which uh, attributes you take into consideration. Right. And, and I assume how much weight to give to each one based on exactly. any exactly. different exactly. situation. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Wow. All right. Well, Chris, we really, really appreciate your time here on the pocket. This has been, I, I've had, you started off by challenging everything that I, I had ever heard. So right off the bat, this has been absolutely amazing to hear your thoughts on customer friction and on the future of technology. We, we really, really uh, appreciate it. So I'll let you uh, sign off, let everyone know where they can find you and Frogster on the internet, and then we'll, uh, we'll call it a wrap. Bye. Yeah, you find us in the internet, www.frogster.com or chris at frogster.com. Reach out when you have questions to the matter. We're always happy to open the dialogue. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. Really appreciate it. Bradley, it was a pleasure.